FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 495 of the podcast that goes snicked. I'm your host, Jason, and this is Night's End. Yeah, we're going to focus on the end of Knights of X as we do a little bit more catching up on modern, current comics. And I apologize, I know I'm, I'm slipping back and getting behind again. It's just, you know, it's been what it is. Um, but I'm happy to talk about some comics, even though this is probably not my favorite stack of books. There's some decent stuff in here, definitely some conversation-worthy stuff. So... We'll go ahead and jump in. Um, we're going to start off with Knights of X, which is the last issue, issue number five of this volume. Well, I guess it was previously at Scalibur, so this is the volume of Knights of X. Um, you know, I really thought I'd be doing a Gambus Gumbo on this, because we're going to see kind of what happens to him from the story after he died in Otherworld. But there's also... Um, a nice big double page battle scene that has several Wolverine characters. We have Logan, Laura, Dokken, um, I think I, did I see Gabby somewhere, maybe? Yes, yep, Gabby, uh, down there. So, yeah, kind of the whole Wolverine family is really, really kind of highlights the bottom of this double page splash. So we'll go ahead and treat it as a normal podcast book. There you go. So, this is Knights of X number five. Uh, this is written by Tini Howard, art by Bob Quinn, who I've really grown to like, uh, colors by Eric Arseniega, letters by VCs Ariana Mayer, uh, designed by Tom, Tom Mueller, and then uh, Yannick Paquette and Alejandro Sanchez, or Sanchez do the cover. Um, it's a nice cover. It's uh, Captain Britain, Betsy, sitting on a Krakoan throne, flanked by Saturnine and Merlin, and some other world um, warriors, knights, whatever, kneeling in front of her in the foreground. Uh, it's, it's a pretty cool cover. So, alright, in this one, basically, in a, in other world, the knights search for Gambit in the Siege Perilous. So remember that Apocalypse had given the Siege Perilous to Mr. M, and he had kind of made a new land called Mercator and other world for it. And so, since Gambit died, or played the death card in Mercator, he really just went through the Siege Perilous. So that's what they're trying to figure out. So, uh, yeah. So in other words, the Knights search for Gambit in the Siege Perilous. They see a literal castle of cards. I guess it's, you know, your normal house of cards, right? This is a, a house of cards, but it's an old medieval castle in other world. Uh, so they go check it out, because they're like, obviously that, that has to do with Gambit. Um, inside, there are statues of multiple Gambits. They're attacked by a specter of Wrongslide. Uh, remember, Wrongslide is Rockslide, kind of our first character that died in Otherworld, and we found out that Resurrection doesn't work right. He came back, quote-unquote, wrong. That's what they've been calling him, Wrongslide. It's kind of a, not a slur, but, I don't know, not not necessarily a good, good thing either. Um... Anyway, I thought this was really interesting because when they're in this castle, which is kind of inside Gambit's 
broken mind trying to piece itself together in, in the resurrection from Otherworld. Um, I think it's interesting that they fight a physical manifestation of Wrong Side because it's also a physical manifestation of Gambit's fear to resurrect quote-unquote Wrong. So I think that's pretty cool. That was a nice little touch. Um, Rachel uses her power to find our quote-unquote Gambit as his role of Horseman of Death. So that's what he's looking to be resurrected as, is the Horseman of Death that, of course, when he served Apocalypse. And that's when he had the, like, the ebony skin, um, in case you don't remember. Um, it also allows Merlin to bring his army to a giant battle, uh, which, of course, includes all our Wolverine fam, like I said. The mutants win. The siege stays open and also magically... Oh, wait. I skipped like a whole lot of notes here. That that also probably didn't make sense because I didn't read the sentence in front of it. Alright. So they, they use their, Rachel uses power to find Gambit as the horseman of death. They fight him until the siege opens up to Krakoa. This allows Rogue to save Gambit. So he comes back basically as himself. So the whole other world resurrection thing is fixed. Um, this also allows Merlin. There we go. Back on track. To bring his army to a giant battle, which of course includes, like I said, across the bottom of a double page splash, all our Wolverine fam. The mutants win. The siege stays open and also magically fixes the Otherworld resurrection problem. It really just does. It's just as fixed now. Um, Captain Britain breaks ties with both Saturnine and Roma and invites Rachel to help her lead the Captain Britain Corps, and they just kind of go off, kind of, you get the little editor note, you know, Captain Brit, Britain will appear later. <laughs> so, we know her story's not done, though this book is, and I haven't really seen exactly for sure where she's showing up, but we, I mean, it's not only the Captain Britain, which is an important part of the Krakoan story, but it's also as Betsy Braddock. Like, we're not just, she's just not going to disappear. <laughs> She'll show up somewhere. Um, Alright, so good art. The story has some cool elements, but honestly it feels a little rushed and a little messy. Um, and the... Yeah. I feel like maybe, you know, a lot of times you're like, you know, not sure this needed to be... You know, I feel like maybe this was... this In the condensed era of comic telling, sometimes the criticism can be... You know, I read that issue. That was really like half an issue, right? I mean, they 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 spread it out. That's fine. I I personally don't mind that. I kind of enjoy the pacing of modern comics for the most part. So I, I, the condensed storytelling doesn't bother me. But you know, you hear that criticism. This is actually a book that probably could have been two issues. Uh, probably should have been spread out a little more. So I don't know if they had to end on number five. Like if that was, hey, we're we're canceling this book. It's ending. Um, you know, we need to table Betsy for whatever else is going on. Or maybe they don't even know yet. Maybe they're just canceling the book and they'll figure it out. But, um, yeah, it felt just a little rushed and, and messy. And, um, you know, I, I remember, if you remember, if you listened to the episodes and Georgie and Dan from the Excalibros are on, kind of our main beef with early issues of Excalibur was kind of the same thing. It kind of felt rudderless at times. The teeny Howard has some good ideas and some good character bits, but the story didn't always feel really cohesive. Um, I would say that wasn't necessarily the problem here, cohesion. It just feels like, man, we got a race to the end. We have these check boxes that have to be checked at the end. One of those is that we're not going to mess with the Otherworld 
resurrection stuff anymore. And that's not going to be a thing. So there's a checkbox that says that's fixed. And the story just kind of shoehorns it. Like, I think that maybe kind of use some more pages is all I'm saying. Um, you know, obviously the other thing is that, you know, uh, Captain Britain frees herself and the core from the influence of the typical rulers of other worlds. So Saturnine, Roma, Merlin no longer hold sway over the way that the Captain Britain cores will handle and kind of interact with the multiverse and other world and, and anything else they want to. So that's definitely interesting. And th- I mean, that part feels more connected to the story. The resurrection thing feels like, well, this is an other world story. We don't want to do that anymore. We have a Siege Perilous, which is kind of a MacGuffin anyway. So let's just say that fixed it. Snap of the fingers, you're done. Um, so that's really, I mean, that's really kind of my main beef. You see that a lot in comics. I mean, threads get dropped and they just kind of get either cut from the garment or sewn back into the garment very quickly and swept under the rug. Um, I will be interested to see how that's dealt with in other books, if at all. Um, As I catch up, I'm curious to see, you know, for example, I know that one of the things that just happened right before the gala was uh, Sunfire bringing Rock Slide or Wrong Slide to Ariko to, like, you know, find kind of a new home. Well, obviously, he was the resurrection. I don't think this will undo his quote-unquote wrong resurrection. So, it be interesting to see how kind of that happens. And now that this is fixed, if Rock Slide or Wrong Slide dies again, regardless of whether it's on Krakoa, on Earth, on Mars, in other world, doesn't really matter anymore, will he come back then right? Or... Will he still be... Will he just come back as the version he currently is after his previous resurrection? Or will he reset to kind of the factory settings, right? Which would be whatever Cerebro was supposed to have to resurrect him the first time. Um, Is the file corrupted? I I hate to speak in those terms. That's kind of what we're dealing with, right? This is a a, a metaphysical reboot, right? So is, is the file, is the source code corrupted? Or... And you just get a bad output because of other world. I don't know if we really know the answer to that. If we do, I don't remember anyway. But I think it's an interesting question because if they decide, even if we don't know the answer, and that character decides to look at the question, then is there a roll of the dice of, well, maybe I should just die and see if I come back the way I was supposed to. Um, the whole Krakoan resurrection thing just has a lot of these kind of weird questions and I really enjoy when the books dip their toes in there. I really enjoy it when they go a little bit deeper and this is one that could really be explored now that this is off the table. How does that affect characters like Rockside who've already gone through that process? So I don't know. Anyway, um not a bad issue. I'm probably gonna give it three out of six claws and would probably give Knights of X in general like a three plus it's a three between a three and a four as of as a five issue arc story arc um but yeah i mean overall uh an interesting little tale i was glad to see the team come together and go save betsy of course she's no longer trapped in the other world her and the captain britain cores can traverse the whole multiverse so 
you know, that's good that she has a freedom. I obviously enjoyed her and Rachel getting together and now staying together. Like that was probably the other checkbox, right? Is that Betsy and Rachel will stay a couple moving into whatever their new story is. So that's nice too. So, I mean, like I said, as far as checking the boxes, it's not a bad thing. Um, but maybe sometimes the plot serves just getting to a place versus the actual process to get there. Um, but, you know, whatever. Uh, Knights of X, number five, three out of six claws. Not bad, not bad at all. All right, so we're going to move next to M New Mutants, number 29. We're following some Gabby back. Awesome. Um, this issue I affectionately dubbed Slices of Pizza, with a, you know, a little Wolverine pun in there, right? Because it has some pizza talk in there. Um, all right, so this is Boys' Day Out, or Fights and Feelings, <laughs> written by Jenny Lore. Uh, art by Guillermo Sana, colors by Dan Brown, uh, letters by VCs Travis Lanham, designed of course by Tom Mueller and Jerry Bowen, and the cover is by Rafael de la Torre and David Carriel. Um, the cover is probably my favorite part. It's got what looks like kind of the specter of the Shadow King in the background, like black and red smoke, with a highlight on his smiling teeth. Then in the foreground, you have a really nice image of Dawkins and Warpath um, just kind of having a little sparring. And then, of course, in the text, it says, Scout is missing, and it's a new mutant's fault. So it looks like Dawkins is getting some, maybe, revenge on the new mutants for what they let happen to Gabby, of course, with the whole Shadow King killing her um, and all that. So that's what we're kind of jumping into right away. So feeling guilty about, quote-unquote, letting... Shadow King happened to Gabby. Dawkins freaks out when he can't find her one day. Also feeling guilty for avoiding his resurrected brother, Warpath agrees to help Dawkins track her down. Uh, Gabby's trail leads to a Krakoan gate and seems to go cold at a remote Orcus base. Dawkins and Warpath tear that shit up. They can't find Gabby, but Warpath checks security tape that shows Gabby leaving the base and going home. So they go home too. They find Gabby and hug it out. Gabby says she got lost trying to find pizza. There you go, slice of pizza. Uh, Dawkins hits the shower so he can take Gabby to get said pizza. Warpath pulls Gabby aside and says he also saw a video of her taking out some other Orcus guys at the base. And Gabby says, well, I really did use the wrong gate on accident. But when I saw the base, I figured, why not? But Warpath assures her that his secret is safe with her. Um, so first of all, maybe some highlights of the issue. Uh, there's a really fun... So on page two. So page one, we have Dawkins attacking Warpath, saying this is all your fault. They're in street clothes. Um, and they slash and punch at each other. And... <laughs> And in a lovely out-of-context X-Panel, uh, we have uh, Dawkins had just sliced at Warpath and cut his shirt off, and we see Dawkins in shadow in the foreground and Warpath in, in the main focus of the panel, and he's got his shirt all ripped open, his, his abs and pecs, and he's just standing there with his hot man body. He's going, are you happy now? Is this what you wanted? And you know, a lot of people were like, yeah, that, that is what we wanted. <laughs> But yeah, it's, it's a funny kind of out-of-context panel, but it's nice. Um, so yeah, uh, <laughs> that sounds really funny. I also really like the letter from Gabby at the end. The, the text piece is a letter from Gabby to Dawkins saying, you know, I know you feel bad about what happened, but I miss you. 
I'm going to miss you being my big brother. Just take it easy. Let's just hang out, chill out. You don't have to be, you don't have to feel so bad about what happened to me. Like, it wasn't your fault. Let's just kind of get back to how we were. Um, it's a nice little letter. So, there's, uh, there's some really decent emotional stuff hinted at in this story. The writing seems a little stilted and awkward at times, so I'm not sure it really delivers on what it's advertising, I guess. Um, I'm really happy, obviously, to see Gabby back. I'm just not sure there's enough here. Uh, so what I mean by that, there's, there's a really interesting kind of core or germ of an idea of Dawkins and Warpath both feeling guilty for different reasons. Being mad at each other, but then also taking that anger out on this kind of remote orcas base. And they do. They kind of just slice and punch their way through this whole base. Um, and there's some there's some interesting ideas there. There's like, a, like orcas has their own kind of version of the danger room. And, you know, they fight through there. They get trapped in there. So they kind of fight through this blizzard. And there's a cool part where they're surrounded and... <laughs> Warpath picks up Dawkins by the feet and swings him around in a circle with his claws and he just kind of slices through people because they're surrounded. It's a really, I mean, there's there's some stuff in here that's really to like. There's even a, you know, I mentioned Slice and Punch kind of subconsciously. There's even a panel where, you know, the letter and the onomatopoeia where Dawkins is slicing and, and Warpath is punching and the sound effects are Slice Punch. Um, so, so, so there's some funny stuff there's some, like I said, some hinting at emotional stuff. Because I think there's something to be explored in the feelings. You know, the book is titled Fights and Feelings, right? And the feelings that Doc and Warpath are kind of dealing with and having cathartic release for through this fight and kind of them being strained buddies um, is an interesting idea. Um, I just don't know if... The writing's adept enough to really dig into that, and I, I don't mean that and to like bag on anybody. I just I don't don't know if it really connected to me on the emotional level that I feel like it maybe could have. I also uh, the, the out of context panel aside, not real sure about the art. It's not really necessarily for me. I'm not gonna say it's bad. I don't think it's bad. Like it's, it's not like looking at the discipline of comic art it's not bad art it just I don't know it just doesn't I just maybe the whole point of my I guess relationship to this issue which I was excited about reading and then kind of disappointed in is that it just didn't really in both the writing and the art I just kind of missed connecting with me that doesn't make it bad and that doesn't mean it didn't connect with you dear listener or listeners Maybe for most of you, this this connected to hit a home run. And if so, that's awesome. I I love it. I think there's some good stuff here. It just it felt a little flat to me. And that's just me personally. To my personal taste, the writing and the art didn't really deliver what I would have hoped for in the the story idea that I was excited about reading. So it's a long way to say I'm gonna give New Mutants number twenty nine. Three out of six claws. I didn't dislike it. I just, I don't know, I wanted more out of it than what I got. So, there you go. Um, Alright, so we're going to stay on a Dawkins theme. 
and go to Marauders number five. So this is Avalon Falls again, or Hell Can Wait. So, um, is written by Steve Orlando, art by Andrea Bricardo, colors by Matt Mia, letters by VCs Ariana Mayer, designed by Tom Mueller, and the cover by Cal New. I think that's how you say that. Um, I don't know if I have his first or last name right, but that's what I'm going to go with. Um, or maybe Wu. Because you normally N-G-U-Y-E-N is Win, so maybe N-G-U is Wu? Not sure. Not sure if it's new or Wu or something else. But uh, it's a nice cover, so I hope I got the name at least close to right. <laughs> I apologize, guys. Um, yeah, it's a cool cover. It's Bishop kind of blasting um, Apocalypse's son. Uh, what was his name? What was that dude's name? Uh, they don't, Nemesis. Um, remember from the Rick Remender days. Though, maybe prior to that? Because I feel like they insert this very early into like the solo X-Men run. But maybe not. I don't I don't remember the, all the history of Avalon, but I guess we'll get there in a second. Um, right. So with her dying breath, Xandra beamed her consciousness to Daddy so she could be resurrected. Remember, um, in this story we've been talking about, um, Xandra was killed by this kind of crimson red faction. Um, so anyway, while she died, she really literally made her consciousness to Xavier to be resurrected. Um, in the present, Dokken kills Chronicle and Deathbird returns to kill Delphus Red. Kind of a triumphant return for Deathbird um, in this issue. In the past, so remember Tempo sent them into the past to find these first mutants. The other Marauders recover the last first mutant on a time drive in Avalon, or something. Uh, they return to the present. Xandra returns to her throne. Amends are made. Dawkins is given the Fang suit. Yada yada yada. Um. Alright. I don't mind in general the idea of Dawkins getting the Fang suit. And the, the story behind it, basically, this year recognizing that he did something, you know, worthy of it, which is cool. Because, right, that's Dawkins kind of personal journal and journey and battle journal. I combine journey and battle into journal. Um, a battle journey is a journal. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, it's kind of his personal arc is kind of his desire to prove himself as worthy, right? It's kind of a subconscious thing. He doesn't like to, to face it head on very often, but kind of the underlying sense of feeling like he is a bad guy and not really living up to kind of the quote-unquote hero thing. Um, so for him to kind of have been recognized as a worthy warrior by the Shi'ar and given the fake suit, that part is cool. That said, I've really been kind of digging like the shirtless samurai pant vibe that he's had. First of all, well, it may be harder to draw. Maybe that's part of the logic behind this. Uh, I just enjoy seeing his tattoos, right? I, you know, that's kind of a big part of who he is and part of his visual aesthetic. So I've enjoyed him running around, you know, kind of... Well, it's just a cool look. Like, artists draw it really well. And the Fang suit, honestly, um, is very reminiscent of both different Wolverine and different Sabretooth suits. This kind of brings him back into that fold visually, which obviously he's part of the Wolverine family, so there's nothing wrong with him kind of having that visual flair, but 
I'm also kind of enjoying him just being honestly kind of not in costume and kind of separating himself from both his father and his father's arch nemesis by not really buying into the color scheme. Um, that said, like I said, I think the story idea behind him getting the suit, and I think he's going to look great in the suit. I'm just I'm going to miss the current look. That's all I'm saying. All right. That's re- neither really here nor there about the actual issue at hand. Um, I actually did like the art better. I've not been enjoying the art in this book. I thought this. I don't know if this is just a fill-in artist, but it's definitely more quote-unquote house style. It's more normal art than the, the kind of almost cartoonish art we've had in the previous four issues. And but I just I like it better. Um, but this book, man, is a mess, and I feel bad because I really like Steve Orlando, and I really want to like this book. I'm just not into it. Uh, I'm also trying to figure out how this conclusion could have been more anticlimactic, and I can't think of it. Like, I'm really not sure what happened, first of all. Second of all, like, I guess I'm supposed to really be excited about, like, their time travel to this particular point in X-Men story lore. I, I don't... It just seems so inconsequential. I didn't really care. Um, and, you know... See Nemesis again and Avalon again. That's all fine, but I don't know. This this book is just kind of a mess. I'm not really digging it much at all. Um, but I, you know, for the docking part for the podcast that goes snicked. I mean, there's definitely some stuff to to look at there and to talk about there. Um, be really interested to see what, what or here, I guess. What do y'all think of Dokken getting the thing suit? Um, is it cool? Is it dumb? Do you love it? Do you hate it? Do you not care? I'd love to hear some opinions. If you have them, you can uh, tweet at me, and I will keep up with them for the next episode. But, um, yeah, definitely curious to see what your thoughts are. I'm going to give Marauders number five two out of six claws. All right. So we have just a couple other random appearances I'm going to tackle this episode. Uh, I have some more appearances that we'll sprinkle throughout the next few episodes. Um, but first, we're going to talk about Damage Control number one, the new series. Um, written by the creator of the Goldbergs. Uh, so this is Into the Maelstrom. Uh, written by Adam F. Goldberg and Hans Rodianoff. Uh, art by Will Robson. Um, Ruth Redman does all the colors. Cause I guess there's a, there's a different story. There's also Zapped and the Mother of Intervention, or Mother of Invention, uh, written by Charlotte Fullerton McDuffie with art by Jay Foskett. Um, so Ruth Redman does all the colors. Clayton Cowles does all the letters by VCs. Um, the cover is by Carlos Pacheco, Rafael Fontiera, and Rochelle Rosenberg. It's a lineup. We have Nightcrawler giving a peace sign. Quicksilver with his hands over the shoulders of Moon Knight. Um, She-Hulk, Ghost Rider, and a guy in a suit with a melted ice cream cone. His ice cream cone is melting because he's standing next to Ghost Rider in the lineup. Um, it's an okay cover. I really like uh, Pacheco's um, Moon Knight. Wouldn't mind seeing more of that. In a more classic style. I don't think it necessarily fit with the current story arc, and I've been loving that art by Capuccio. But, um... If you're not reading that book, if nothing else, check it out for the art. No, I personally love the book overall. I think Jen McKay is a wonderful writer. But, um, 
anyway, um, yeah, and more of a kind of a classic story, Moon Knight. Pacheco's Moon Knight would look pretty awesome. So it's a pretty nice cover. Um, basically, this story is kind of a joke book. Um, it's really just a day in the life of a damage control intern. I wrote in my notes is kind of funny question mark, but we do have some Wolverine in there. He's in when they go back to the damage control office. Wolverine is hanging out. Um, he's in the background, and then there's he walks um, in front of a guy, and we get kind of close up, and that's kind of it. Um, but there is a part in the middle or somewhere. Where is it? And the guy's trying to save like the office and he's running around. Or no, maybe it's in the backup story. I think it is in the backup story. Where which I kinda don't remember what happened. I forgot to write it down. Uh, they're trying to fight Thanos. And oh, and then Reality Stone gets like poofed away and it falls underwater. Um and so some stuff gets mutated, kind of there's some, like some underwater nuclear waves kind of all on the Simpsons. And there's a wolf or fish, which looks awesome. It's a little fish uh, with a yellow body and blue fins. And the side fins have the claws. And he has the wolverine hair, basically the wings and the mutton chops over the, over the face. It looks really funny and really great. Um, but I didn't really care about this issue. <laughs> I won't be reading anymore. Um, also, that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one of the funniest things about the issue is this issue. Sorry, so with current books, right, with all the reboots and stuff, it'll have like the issue number in the white box under Marvel, and then in a like black trim underneath, it'll say like LGY, like for Legacy, and say what number it is. This one says Damage Control, Damage Control number one, Legacy number sixteen, which I think is funny because it's just been a couple of miniseries. Um, but anyway, yeah. Damage control number one slash 16. Uh, I'm going to give it two out of six claws. can't say I really cared about it. All right, next up and last up, we also have a brief um, Wolverine appearance in flashback mode. Flashback! And uh, Defenders Beyond number two, which is, of course, the second Cosmos written by Al Ewing, art by Javier Rodriguez, VC Joe Caramania does the letters. Um, I don't. There's some other credits, but I'm not sure what they go to. Will Moss might be the letterer. I actually came and read. There's Michelle Marchese, maybe. Don't know if those are colors or what. Or no, VC Joe Caramania does the letters. So one of these guys must be doing the colors. Maybe one of them is doing the inks. I'm not entirely sure. It doesn't say. But the cover is by also by uh, Javi Rodriguez. And, I mean, if you... I don't get a chance to talk about him a lot on the podcast. But every now and then he pops up on something. If you've ever heard me talk about him here or on Twitter, I'm in love with Javi Rodriguez. I mean, his art is just next level shit. I mean, it's so, so good. Um, this cover, we have classic Beyonder in Beyonder armor. So this is a guy from the original Secret Wars and Secret Wars 2. And he kind of is... So in the new Secret Wars that Hickman did, he kind of recast the Beyonders as this race of, like, you know, progenitors of the universe or whatever. And we find out that our Beyonder 
from the original Secret Wars was just one of them, and he was kind of broken. Um, so anyway, we, we meet him again, and he's in the background, and there's just weird psychedelic stuff, and we have Loki, like, balancing on a metal cylinder, we have America Chavez, and with stars coming out from her, we have Galactus' mom got it going on, and then we have Tiger in the foreground. Um, it's just a really cool cover. Um, I loved this whole first volume of, of Defenders by Ewing and Rodriguez was glorious and amazing, and so far this, this series is more of the same. Um, so the Defenders fight the Beyonder, complete with Secret Wars recaps that of course feature Wolverine. So that's our podcast against Nick Connection right there. As they move beyond, haha, Taya, Mom of Galactus, becomes the Phoenix. And this issue is gorgeous. It's a crazy beautiful book. That's really kind of the whole distillation of what actually happens. But man, um, there's a page where Rodriguez gets to draw the Celestials. The reason I'm not sure about the other cards is because I believe Rodriguez usually does his own colors as well. But I could be wrong. And it could be different on this book, even. So, don't know for sure. But there's a there's a sign, or a page, where the celestial sheet like this beam, and there's all kinds of colors, and rainbow, and, and pastels, and neons, and it just looks really, really rad. Um, you know, we see him get to draw Eternity, we see him get to draw kind of almost like Kirby-esque design, and the Beyonders like, room, like their meeting room or whatever it is, um, looks really, really cool, um, you know, of course his, his recap of the original Secret Wars, it was funny because the characters are almost more in the design of the action figures, you remember the Marvel Secret Wars action figures, kind of the, the first Marvel action figures I really remember, even before I even knew, like, what they really were, or what, how Marvel was all connected, um, and what I remember specifically is the Doctor Doom one had no cape, or the cape got lost really easy, it was just him in his tunic with his armor, and this figure, or this depiction of Doctor Doom in the Secret Wars recap, looks like that figure, like, dead on, it's great, and the Iron Man looks like that design as well, um, and it looks like it could be those figures, I really appreciate that, um, yeah, and there's, there's a part where they're, they're doing some stuff, America Chavez puts on the Mask of Eternity so she can punch the Beyonder through colors, that's really awesome looking as well, um, there's just really, really great art, really, really crazy, beautiful book, um, I will say, I liked issue one, and I've also already read issue three, probably better than two, I'm gonna give two Man, it's a high five out of six claws. I don't even really know if I can put my finger on exactly why it's not six out of six, but it's up there. It's just a, I know I said this already, just a crazy, beautiful book. It looks amazing, it's awesome, and I'm really loving both this series and its uh, mini-series predecessor. Um, cannot recommend it enough. And it's not just one of those just read it for the art. While the art it is enough by itself, I mean, Alan Ewing's a great writer. So it's also just a really well-constructed book. So, yeah, so that's going to do it for this episode. Kind of keep it short and sweet. Sorry it was a little long coming. Um, I'm trying to get 
stuff, you know, I'm actually, I'm, I think I'm reading in an okay pace is, is getting the recordings done. But I'm working on it. Hope you enjoyed this catch-up in this episode, and we'll do it again soon. So, um, as always, for the podcast at Ghost Nick, you can like the Facebook page. Twitter is at SnickCast. Show notes and stuff at SnickCast.Podbean.com. And everyone, please stay well, stay safe out there, and until next time, hugs and snicks. Bye-bye. And snacked.